I think uh, as we sit here and sing about the cross and Christ on the cross and all that, we have to kind of come back to what we're talking about at the very, very basic of it, the very, very root foundation of everything that we're talking about in this message series, and that is what is Christianity? What is it really? And if you're really going to understand what Christianity is, then we've really got to get back to the root of Christianity. And at the very root of Christianity is in the root word, Christ. And it's not about what I want Christianity to be, or you want Christianity to be, or what 5th century Christianity was, or, or 21st century Christianity was. It really comes down to what is Christ. And from Christ, if we understand who Christ is, then we can build on that and, and understand what Christianity should be. Again, if you're first time with us today, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to smudge out, wipe out, get away from a whole lot of preconceived ideas of what Christianity is. I'm pretty sick of Christianity myself. I know many of you are as well. The Christianity that's sold in the marketplace. The Christianity that's modeled by many people who name the name of Christ. I want to go back to the first century Christianity when they didn't even call themselves Christians. They didn't even call themselves Christians. In fact, the word Christianity or Christians was not even mentioned, uttered from anybody's lips. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in a town called Antioch. And it wasn't the Christians in Antioch who said, you know what, we need a name for our movement. We need to get a name. We need to get a logo. We need to get a website or all that kind of stuff. It wasn't that at all. In fact, what it was in that first century believers, they were so much living like Christ that it was the outside world looking at them saying, you know what, you all look just like that Christ guy. You all are little Christ. You all are Christians. So I really, in my deep burden down for this entire series, down deep in my heart, is that we will quit calling ourselves Christians and allow the world to look into our lives and say, that person's different. That person's living at a higher standard. That person is living the real stuff, Christianity, that I want to live. And I think the only way we can really do that is to kind of go back to the root of it. If we're going to understand what pure Christianity is, then we need to understand what, 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 who's Christ. Who is He in the beginning? And for some of this I know today may be very elementary, but I really also believe that we're having a morphing effect going on in our culture today where Christ is being redefined and reshaped. Now, when I grew up, there was basically one, only one image of Christ. It was the Sunday school image of Christ. It was the picture that was hung in the Sunday school class. Oh, go back, guys. <laughs> go back, back. <laughs> okay, it's going to keep going. Okay, just hold it right there. If it can hold there. If it won't hold there, then we'll just stop there. You know that picture, that picture of Christ whenever he's all ca- soft and cuddly? The, the, where there's almost a halo about him. He just looks, has this gentle yet sternness about him. He almost something as a child you would go to really, really quickly and just kind of embrace. Every Sunday school classroom that I can remember as a child growing up would at some point display that picture of Jesus. Now that's one image of who Christ is. There's another image that is called what I, you might call him the homeboy image. All right, and that's the T-shirt image, and you saw it real quickly on the screen there. First, I saw Ashton Kusher, where uh, is Kusher, Kusher, or whatever his name is. He was wearing that shirt one time in Hollywood. I thought that's the cool image of Jesus. We don't like the Sunday school image of Jesus. What we would rather have is the cool image of Jesus. That image of Jesus where you can put him on a T-shirt and he and he's real cool, and Ashton's wearing him, so I can wear him, and that's the cool image of Jesus that some people would like to have. 
Then there's the mystic image of Jesus. And guys, I don't know if you can go to this one real quickly. I don't know how long it will stay up there. I think it's powerful. There it is. The, this is the, medi- that was, the meditative image of Jesus, okay? This is the yoga, okay? This is the yoga image of Jesus where you kind of take Jesus and you kind of mix him all together and you kind of put a little bit of yoga with him and, and a little bit of Buddhism with him and you just kind of make Jesus in your own image. You saw the toast image as it went across real quickly. Do you realize that was literally a piece of toast that was sold? I think it was grilled cheese, actually, that was sold on eBay. And I don't remember how much money it gathered, but there's the image of Jesus that he's the mystical image of Jesus. That he's going to appear in some shroud, in some silhouette, or some sun dancing on the side of a building. And that that image of Jesus is the image of Jesus. We like the mystic image of Jesus. Well, there's all kinds of image of Jesus, but one of the ones that is my favorite, not necessarily because I agree with it, because I just think it's hilarious, is the bobblehead Jesus. And there's literally, you can buy online the bobblehead image of Jesus. And this bobblehead, hey, we're going to stay. Okay, we've got the bobblehead image of Jesus. And if you think about it for a moment, you think about the bobblehead. That's the kind of Jesus that you really want. Because eventually he's going to say yes. All right? You just ask him the right questions and he's going to say yes. That's a very good, you ask the right question, you get him going in the right way. But I had to buy this one. This is the action figure Jesus. All right? I haven't even opened it. I saved it for this special service, okay? This is my action image Jesus. And if you open up Jesus here, what it, what it says, it says that he has movable, it comes with scripture on the back, okay, of the packaging. And... Uh, and it has with movable arms so he can maybe call down blessings. I don't know. Uh, do stuff like that. But this is the really, I love this part. It's, he glides. He glides. Don't you just imagine Jesus? He has rollers on his feet and he, he just glides. See, Jesus doesn't walk. He glides. All these different images of Jesus. This is what it said when I read it on the website. This is what it said about it. Everyone has a different take on Jesus. Muslims and Jews saw him as a prophet. Buddhists say he, he was enlightened. Hindus consider uh, him an avatar, uh, an incarnation of a deity in human form. While Christians hail him as the Son of God, wherever your theological compass points, you will agree that this is the coolest action figure since G.I. Joe. Each hard plastic Jesus action figure stands five feet tall with posable arms, and each uh, and will reach toward the heavens and the wheels at his base uh, for smooth gliding action. So this is the image of Jesus. There are all kinds of images of Jesus out there. We like to make Jesus in our own image many of the times. And I just look at all of this and I mean, I just quick web searching and you can find all these examples of Jesus. I've got to put his arms down at least, okay? Uh, all these images of Jesus you can find online. I mean, you can find him in pop culture. You can find him everywhere. But really, I want to say, who is the real Jesus? Would he please stand up? Is he the homeboy, the, the cool kid? Is, is he kind of the mixture of all different religions of the world and now he's doing his yoga meditation? Who is the real life, real incarnate? Who is the real Jesus that makes up Christianity? Again, getting back to the very basics is getting back to the very essence of the Christian faith, which the Christian faith in essence is Christ Himself. So who is He? What does He look like? And there's a whole lot of confusion out there. Paul was dealing with the confusion when he was writing the letter to Colossia. So find the book of Colossians if you, if you haven't yet in your Bibles. Find it. I want to read you one other quote that was uh, quoted in the 
Chicago Sun-Times by Justin Pope. And this is what his basic uh, assessment was in many interpretations of Jesus. He said there's a black Jesus and a white Jesus, a homely Jesus and a handsome Jesus, a capitalist Jesus and a socialist Jesus, a stern and a hippie Jesus, hardworking social reformer and mystic comforter. Who is Jesus? We've made him into everything. The Da Vinci Code made him into be a married man, a feminist, and a mortal prophet. Who is Jesus? The world is giving us who Jesus is. The world is like, we would like to paint for you who is the real Christ. And I don't want to let the world do that. I don't want the homeboy t-shirt to define I don't want the action figure Christ to define who Jesus really is. I want to get to the very root basics of who Christ is. And in Colossians chapter 1, we'll find probably the most detailed passage of Scripture, doctrinal statement of who Christ is. And again, this is not something as the Da Vinci Code, and again, I know it's an old book and it's long gone and we had all the debate about it before, but it's still one of those books that I think presented itself as, as a novel yet based in fact. The reality is there's a whole lot of false accusations, a whole lot of absolutely poor historical study and absolutely horrible theology in, in the book. But one of the things that it brings out, and again, I use that book as kind of a springboard for today's message because that was a popular book that I even knew of churches in this area of the southern Bible buckle of the Bible belt were using it as a Bible study. Now, why in the world would I not be concerned about that? Because, again, many people's views of who Jesus is are shaped by pop culture and not shaped by a solid biblical truth. But one of the things that the book espouses is that Jesus was not God. He did not claim to be God. He was not God. He was made God by an evil, corrupt church, an early church. But the reality is, is that the very generation that walked and talked with Jesus, the very generation that was living in His footsteps, they were absolutely, positively sold out that Jesus was God. They didn't make Him God in the future. It wasn't some evil, corrupt Catholic church that did it. It was Jesus Himself establishing Himself as God and Him being accepted as God and who He was in that first century early believer. So what we do is we have in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, we have a beautiful passage of Scripture that's really a hymn. It's one of the oldest hymns in all of, in all of history. It is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, hymn that deals specifically with Christ and who He is. Now, again, let's kind of get into the shoes of of these early believers. They didn't have this, okay? We have this. This is that book, that Bible, that we carry with us and put it in the back seat of the car until next Sunday. They didn't have this, okay? They didn't have anything of any record of Christ, okay? All they had was a verbal testimony. All they had was the eyewitnesses. 500 at times would see Him. Thousands at times would see Him. All they had was the testimony of the people. They didn't have this. They didn't have a building that they could meet in. That didn't come until 300 years or so, 300 and something years, until Constantine finally legalized it. They didn't have a dedicated building on the interstate. They didn't have a safe environment that they could come in. It was illegal to be a Christian. So this is a very difficult day in which to live, but how is it in this difficult day, how do we keep our faith alive? We've got to center in on who Christ is. 
I want to say to you today, there's a whole lot of representation, there's a whole lot of similarities between the 21st century and the 1st century. If I really had time to go into it, I would break it down for you, but I don't. Just trust me on this one. There's a lot of similarities living in a post-Christian society that where sometimes Christians are treated unfriendly. They're seen as hypocritical. And what we've got to do is we've got to come back and we've got to learn from the very basics. And what they did is they established from the very beginning, from the get-go, who is Christ and who is Christ to me. And guys, you need to buckle your seatbelts because I'm going to give you five things really quickly that it says in this passage of Scripture. Very quickly, these are statements that were made in a very densely packed verses about who Christ was. In your Bible, maybe you have it broken out into a kind of a poetic form. And this whole definition of who is Christ really, really is spelled out a lot in this passage. So jot these down real quickly as we go. Number one, I want you to understand, these are essentials for understanding the real Christ of Christianity. One is that Jesus is God. Now this may be Sunday school basic 101 for you. And you may have already established this. But let it resonate with you because you will deal with people who will love the popular Jesus and will love the Da Vinci Jesus. But they won't love the Jesus that you love and I love. And unless you can establish in your heart and in your mind the reality that Jesus is God, He was not a mere prophet, He was not a good man, He was not the Jesus of, uh, of Buddhism and of, Mor- or of Mormonism where you morph into deity. He's not the, the Jesus of the Hindu faith where Jesus is just one among 300,000 other deities out there. He is Jesus is God, is God, and He's the one and only Son of God, period. All right, There's no ambiguity with that. And he makes it quite clear in this passage of Scripture when you dive into it. When you look at verse 15, he makes it very clear. He says, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, He is, who's He? Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. He, you want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. You want to know what he looks like? You want to know what he acts like? You want, know, you want to know what he values? You want to know what's priority for him? Get to know Jesus. You get to know Jesus. You get to know God. He is the image. The idea is there is, is of he is the manifestation. He is the representation of who Jesus is. Here's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Make no doubt about it that Jesus was not merely a good prophet. Not merely a good example. He was not merely a, 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 a good man, a healer, a physician. He was and is and will always be God. Get that deep down in your heart. John chapter 1, verse 18 says it like this. I'm giving you various scriptures so that you can base it not just merely on what I say, but on what, what God's Word says. This is from the paraphrase of the message. I love the way it said it, though, so I want to give it to you. No one has ever seen God, not so much as a glimpse. This Jesus, one of a kind God expression, who exists at the very heart of the Father, has made Him plain as day. Literally, it translates, He translated Him. We didn't know who He was. We didn't know what God was. But what we did is whenever you look at Jesus, Jesus translates God. You want to know who God is? You know Jesus. You want to know who, who, who He is, what He likes, what His values? Get to know Jesus. Also down in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says it like this. 
It says, For he is the Father's, for it was of the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. All the fullness of God would be in Christ. Very important verses, very important concept to get down because this world would like you to believe that it was some deceptive ways of the early church that made Jesus God. And I want to tell you, it was the believers that literally walked and slept with Him. They said, this is absolutely, Jesus is absolutely, positively, He is God. Make no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Here's the second thing you've got to get about Jesus, who He is. The essentials. These are the essentials for understanding the real Christ of Christianity. Number two is that Jesus is the Creator. Now, I love this verse. I love this concept because He really tells us who really had the idea, who had the power behind, because Jesus didn't begin in a manger. We think that here. Christmas is coming up on us. Jesus didn't begin in a manger, a little meek and mild lying there. Okay? Jesus has always been. And Jesus was the... He, he actually was the one who had the idea for creation. Look with me at this verse. You don't want to miss it. Verse 16. It says in verse 16, For by Him, you might underscore that word by Him or circle Him. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through, circle the word through, Him and for. Circle the word for Him. He mentions it right here in this passage of Scripture that Jesus was the ideal it was created by Him. This world was created by Him. It was His idea. It was created through Him. It was going to be Jesus doing the creation. It was created for Him. Jesus' glory. Jesus' glory is why we were created. You know, you walk this earth and you breathe on this earth and you exist on this earth not to occupy space on this earth. Not to consume resources of this earth. You and I must understand that God in all of His infinite wisdom throughout eternity, before time even existed, wanted you to be here. It was His idea. He created you. Individually, He had a part in that process. And whenever He did that, He did that so that we would be, as His creations, bringing glory to Him. It was by Him, it was through Him, and it was for Him that everything that was created was created. Now, my life, must I must beg the question, does my life bring glory to Him? Am I fulfilling that design? See, when I look at a, a piece of granite, I think about the, the, analogy, the analogy would be something like this. When I look at a piece of granite, I see a rock. When you, a sculptor sees a piece of granite, he sees an idea. He sees art. When I see a rock, I throw a rock. I kick at a rock or I move a rock. A sculptor will take a rock and begin to chisel on that rock. We'll begin to work on that. I heard one quote from one sculptor one time who, who said that, what are, you, what are you doing when you're creating that? He says, I'm just trying to pull back the pieces that don't need to be there to let the person come out. And I thought that was a beautiful statement. And so 
Here Jesus is, the idea maker, the artist with the sculpture, the artist with a piece of granite. He's the one chiseling away. He's the one smoothing away. He's the one lovingly, caringly bringing out His beautiful creation so that ultimately the sculptor could bring glory to the Creator. What happens to that sculptor? He takes it and puts it in a museum, gives it to the hands of a curator so that that curator will show it off, model it off, put a plaque behind it, bring glory to the artist. We ought to understand Jesus Christ was the artist in creating us individually. It's an absolute essential. The third essential that we must understand about Jesus is that Jesus is the sustainer. Jesus is the sustainer. If you look again down in verse 17, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. All things hold together. You know, deism was an idea that was taught for a number of years that God is like a watchmaker. He makes a watch. He makes earth. He makes mankind. He creates it. He winds the watch up. And then He sets the watch down and He backs away from it. That's deism. If the watch breaks, the watch breaks. He did His part. He created it. Now it goes on its own. That's deism. But biblical theism would say this. God creates it. And then He maintains it. He sustains it. He keeps it going. Now I think what we have to do in looking at our life is understand that it is God who keeps our life between the ditches. It is God who keeps our life from messing up. He holds all things together. He created you. He created me. And He's keeping us together. We may think our world is falling apart. And it may be to some degree. We may think our economy is going to pot, and it is to some degree. But in the end, I'm not worried. Because I know there's a sustainer out there. And everything is being held together by Him. And if it falls apart, it's because He's allowed it to fall apart. And I'm going to have faith that He's going to help put it back together again. And I'm going to have to trust Him in that. There's an element of trust in every, every aspect of every kind of faith in this world. And I'm going to bet on Jesus that He is going to sustain me through it all. Here's a verse for you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Sustaining all things, keeping it going by His mere breath. What happened? This past week we elected a new president. The world was excited. It was a landslide victory. Everybody, positive, positive, positive. Obama, the president-elect. For the next two days, the stock market went down further and further and further. You know, it's not going to be one man or two men. It's not going to be one party or two parties. It's not going to be all the parties. It's going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's going to be a sustainer named Jesus Christ that we bow our lives to that will make all the difference. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is God. Make no mistake about it. And if He's all those things, I think we need to make the assumption on the next one that He can qualify to be the next essential, which is that Jesus is the preeminent one. Because Jesus is the creator, because Jesus is God, because Jesus is is the sustainer of all the things, I think He probably has a master plan. I think He probably knows how to keep things going. For verse 19, it says, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 18, it says it like this. It says, He is the head of the body, 
He's the first in the body. He's the first in the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is. He is. He, he himself will come to have first place in everything. Would you underscore that last phrase? First place in everything. Now, the question would be: Is in your life, does he have first place in everything? If you're still debating on who's calling the shots in your life, He doesn't have first place in everything. If you're still debating on His place in your relationships, He doesn't have first place in everything. If you're still debating on His role in your job, He doesn't have first place in everything. If you're still debating on your money and how much you'll give, if you'll even give, or how it's going to all fit together, He doesn't have first place in everything. See, when you're the God, when you're God and you're the Creator and you're the Sustainer, you have the right to be first, and that's who He is. And see, for some people, I'm afraid Jesus, we've turned Him into one among many gods. But the thing is, Jesus is the one and only God. And we 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 like would like to have Jesus all a cart, and really, it's Jesus all or nothing. We've got to get down to the brass facts. I'm not God. And I'm okay with that. You understand what I'm saying? It's not me call the shots in my life. It's what does God want for my life? What does Jesus want for my life? And I, what's it going to take for me to rearrange, take off my plate, put on my plate, rearrange my life, my priorities, my finances, my time, whatever it is, what is it that I'm going to have to do to adjust in my life so that he can be first place in everything? A dad was talking to his son, six-year-old son, about his Christian faith and about his walk with God. And, and he said, now, son, you got to realize you're six years old. You can make some big decisions right now. So, you know, to accept Christ means that he's going to be your boss from now on. He's going to call the shots from now on. He said, are you, are you ready for that? And the little boy kind of hesitantly said, I'm not ready for that responsibility. And I think, you know, as a little child, I think that's so wise to be able to look at it and say, you know what? If I'm not ready to give him ownership and calling the shots in my life, I'm really not ready to be called a Christian. And I'm afraid there's been too many people who've called themselves a Christian, who've taken on a label Christian, who are not living like a Christian. Again, I go back to Antioch. Let's let the world look at us and say that person is undoubtedly, without question, without any hesitation, without any equivocation, that person right there is a follower of Christ. That is pure Christianity. And if we can't step up to that responsibility, then we might need to take that title off our name. The fifth. The fifth element of of this hymn, of this beautiful hymn, that's an essential that you can't get away from. Understanding who Christ is is that Jesus Christ is the great reconciler. He's the great reconciler. He puts it back together again. Jesus Christ is the one that whenever we mess it up, He cleans it up. Whenever I mess up a relationship or I mess up my integrity or I mess up my character or I mess that up, it's by God's grace that He lovingly and graciously steps into a situation when I have literally screwed it all up and He can put it back together again. I'm afraid, again, we have taken that for granted in the Christian faith of the 21st century and the 20th century. 
is that I can always just ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, and it'll come and, and all that. You know, what we have to realize is that every single one of us, none of us exempt from this, every single one of us in this room has taken a life and it's less than perfect. I'm not saying we're they're hopeless, but I am saying this, that without Christ reconciling us, there's no hope. You look at the big companies like, like uh, General Motors, and you look at some of these other companies that are literally right now big giants in America, banks, giants in America, that unless somebody bigger than them steps in and fixes it, it won't be fixed. Again, we get into this Messiah mentality within ourselves that we can fix our... No, we can't. We're, in fact, look at these words here that he, that he uses to describe it. In, in verse 20, he says it like this. He said, uh, And through Him to reconcile... He's the great reconciler. To reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say whether things are on earth or things are in heaven. The great reconciler steps into our life. and The word there is a banking term. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. You know what? If you can't reconcile your books, you're in trouble. The thing is, is that we're bankrupt. We're overdrawn. And we don't have the depth to get ourselves out of the fixes that we put ourselves in. And what we need is we need Jesus in our life, the great reconciler who can help put this all back together again. And the great thing is is that when He puts it back together again, there are two results of this reconciliation. Jot them down and don't miss them. Lock in on them. One is that we have peace within. Notice what He said there again in verse verse 20. He made peace through His blood. He made peace through His blood. Now, He had to die so that we could have peace. Jesus had to experience hell so that we could experience heaven. And we can't just walk past that. We shouldn't walk past it. We've got to understand the, the depth of His love. This is the way one person... This is a long quote, but give me the grace of reading it because I think it captures it. Jesus gained the power to love harlots, bullies, and ruffians. He was able to do this only because He saw through the filth and the crust of degeneration because his eyes caught the divine original. I love that word, those words. Which is hidden in every way in every man. When Jesus loved the guilt-laden person and helped him, he saw in him an erring child of God. He saw in him a human being whom his father loved and grieved over because he was he was going wrong. He saw in him as God's originally designed and meant Him to be. And therefore, He saw through the surface layer of grime and dirt to the real man underneath. Jesus did not identify the person with His sin, but rather saw in this sin something alien, something that really didn't belong to Him, something that merely chained and mastered Him from, from which He would free Him and bring Him back to His real self. Jesus was able to love men because He loved them through the layer of mud. That is the beauty of the great reconciler. Is that 
you know, we might look at ourselves and run away from the church because it makes us feel guilty. Please, please, please don't do that. It's not our goal to make anybody feel guilty. It's our goal to help people become unreconciled and bankrupt to living with peace within. And the second thing that comes in this reconciliation process is that we have not only peace within, but we also have peace with God. Peace with God. That He brings us together. And, and, and we were once aliens, it says in verse 21. It says that through you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. Yet He has now reconciled. There's that word again. You and His fleshly body through His death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. See, what happens is this great gulf of all the issues of our life that, that the bad decisions, the bad priorities, the bad attitudes, the actions and the reactions, and you can just stack them all up. And just further and further we get separated, further and further separated from God. But it was Jesus who somehow, through His grace and His death and His life, and He, he stood in the middle and He brings us back together. He reconciles us so, so that when one day we're standing before God in heaven, it says there, He's going to present us as blameless and as holy. But how can that be? Because I'm not and you're not and you know you're not and quit denying it. It's because of what Jesus did when He took every bit of our sin. I close by just reminding you of a story by Ernest Hemingway, a man that was quite messed up in his own mind, but I thought he captured a story pretty well in, in his short story called The Capital of the world when he tells the story of a teenager who lived in Spain and became a rebellious teenager. And as he was living there, he, he separated himself from his father. He rebelled so much that he, he went away and left his dad and, and was living his own life. And uh, the story goes that the, the dad paid and had a, an article, just a brief statement, put in the local Madrid paper his son's name was Paco. It was a common uh, name in, in Spain, I guess, at the time. And, and he tells this little sentence in the, in the paper. He says, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. The next day, whenever noon rolled around, Paco's dad was in front of the newspaper office. And because there were so many Pacos... In Spain, 800 Pacos were there ready and wanting to be reconciled to their father. And I think really deep down in our heart, we want to be reconciled to God. I think we have to realize that Jesus is the way. In fact, He said it like this, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so, I, you know, it's not bowing to any God out there that you want to bow to. Just be good and spiritual. It's not finding your own little concoction of Jesus and making Him into whatever you want Him to be. It's not having your bobblehead Jesus that's going to answer yes to you. It's realizing that the Jesus of this book and the Jesus of real stuff Christianity. He is the Creator. He is the God. He is Sustainer. 
He is preeminent and He is the great reconciler. I wonder in your life if, if He is that to you. If He is not, you know, we don't do this very often, but we're going to do it today. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come back up here to get ready. We're going to sing that song that we heard sing earlier, Lead Me to the Cross. And I just want you to hear these words and respond to these words because if you're here today, and again, we don't do this very often. Sometimes I'll say, meet me on the patio, we'll talk or something like this. But this is one of those days I just feel like today we're just going to say, you know what, you may be here today and you don't know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus, but you want one. And you're ready today. Say, hey, I'm ready to step across that line and quit making Jesus into my own image and let Jesus make me into His image the way He intended me to be past all the mud and the muck of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these moments. They come so quickly and go so quickly. But Lord, may they be life-changing. May You truly, 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 Lord, work on us. Reconcile us. Bring us back to You. That we might have peace with God. And that one day, Lord, as if it didn't even happen, as if all the muck and the mess of our life didn't even happen, Jesus will present us to to the Father, spotless, blameless, holy, and perfect. What a beautiful day that will be.